Hello everybody and welcome back to another Star Studied episode of the Movie Scramble podcast. I say Star Studied because we are here in an entirety today. There is no absentees, there is no apologies. Well, there's going to be plenty of apologies, but they'll come later. I'm your host, Thomas, and I'm joined by John and Mary today. But uh, since you're ill, Mary, we'll go to John first. How are you, John? Yeah, good. I'm just back from a staycation, as it seems to be all over the papers, and I hate that fucking word, but I called it a said it anyway. <laughs> I was up in Inverness for five days, enjoying the sunshine and the various sights, and it was lovely. Really nice time, very refreshing. Had lots to drink and went and saw lots of things. Apart from Nessie, obviously, because at this time of year, Nessie is in Nova Scotia through the, the undersea tunnel that, that uh, it uses in order to uh, travel back and forth. But yes, all good. Yeah, looking forward to our chat today. Yeah, so it's a great part of the world, isn't it? Up at Inverness and the Highlands. And that. It's, just, it's, a, it's a great pace of life. It's just nice and quiet. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was good. One thing, though, you had to book everything. Every single thing you had to book because mm. of restrictions and because of well, increased crowds as well. But yeah, aye, it's well worth it. I could probably recommend it to anybody. Really would. Speaking of COVID, Mary, how are you? <laughs> I'm just like to point out for our listeners, I didn't have COVID, <laughs> but a uh, COVID jag number two has definitely nearly knocked me off my my perch. It was. I still feel like quite like hot and quite uh, flu like, but it just oh horrendous. Two days of literally just sleeping, migraines, sore arm, and just I honestly had fever dreams. Like I, as I said to you guys, I woke up and thought I was at the bottom of the Grand Canyon and I was going to have to climb my way back out. I was so delirious with how hot I was. It was ridiculous, but still, I'm not. You know, glad that I got two jags. Go and get your jags, people. Don't be a tinfoil hat and you know do your bit, etc., etc. Yeah, we don't want to get too preachy in the podcast, but please do get vaccinated because it is better than the alternative. But we're not here to discuss vaccinations or COVID, although I do think we do get a bit preachy on that in the past, but that's another story. We're here to talk about the 2021 British horror film by Prano Bailey Bond, Censor. There's this actress. I've got this feeling that's Nina. My sister. You know, if someone did take it, then there's still out there. You've never been clear on exactly what you remember. You'd be surprised what the human brain can edit out when it can't handle the truth. Someone's losing the plot. This is a very slow burn of a movie, and not what. And this is probably one that would have actually passed me by if it was not for yourself, Mary, that had mentioned it. But the plot is set in 1985 in Britain. And we have our film censor Enid, played by Neve Alger, who discovers an eerie horror movie that's, when she's watching it, really makes her think about her real life disappearance. She becomes a little bit obsessed with it, based on that, and it starts to become this puzzle that the more she kind of like picks at it, the more it unravels, and the lines between kind of reality and fiction start to kind of blur for her as she falls down this rabbit hole which in her mind is like a strike kind of find that they get to the bottom of the mystery what happened to her sister but as the puzzle unravels her mind seems to go with it and trying to get to spoil it with it but it's a very psychological horror and it really gets into your head mary what was your thoughts on it as a film yeah. 
So I really wanted to see this movie because I was a big fan of Neve Algar in The Virtues, which is the Shane Meadows TV show that was on uh, Channel 4 a while ago. Um, and I happened to catch a couple of trailers for it a little while ago and I thought, oh, this seems right up my street. I was I really liked it because it was a psychological horror. So I think if you're maybe going into it thinking, oh, it's about video nasties, you're going to see loads and loads of like, you know, blood and guts and all that sort of thing. It's probably not going to be your type of movie. I think if you enjoyed Rose Glass's St. Maud last year, you're probably going to quite like this as well. It's very character driven. It's very psychological. It's a very slow burn and actually really exciting to look at it reminded me of like a Jalo movie there's kind of moments in it I was like well this is like you know as a daddy or gentle had directed this you know it was a really stylistic really well paced really kind of ambiguous movie as well I think it's one that's going to get a lot of people thinking there's without going into you know spoiler territory I think it's something that is is very open-ended and is you know you're kind of you've when you think about it you know after you've watched it you're like how much of that actually happened and how much of that is, you know, this kind of, because it's so hyper stylized, it almost feels like you're watching a movie within a movie type of thing. So yeah, you know, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was was excellent, really sort of character driven and, and Neve Algar, who was who was so good previously, really drives this this film as well with her performances. Enid, she's just fantastic. And I think that when you look at the, the little nuggets of the kind of real life setting of, you know, how trying times where in the 80s with you know these kind of culture clashes and strikes and you know all the economic uncertainty and how these video nasties came about it just sort of brings it all to life as well and makes you kind of it's not a nostalgic look back at the 80s put it that way but it really sort of it brings all the sort of different strands of the movie together I think it's, it's really well done yeah I agree with a lot of that especially what you're saying about um if you like Saint Maud but you like that kind of stellar movie Mm-hmm. This will be right up your street. John, how was your knowledge of the film before you approached it? Or did you go in fairly blind like myself? I went in totally blind. I hadn't seen any trailers for it. I'd heard a couple of interviews with some of the principals. But apart from that, I hadn't really heard very much at all. So it was a total surprise to me. It's the kind of film that I love because it's, like Mary said, it's very ambiguous. You... You can take different things from it. Now, I've read some reviews of it where people have been very, very disappointed in it because it's very slow paced and it doesn't really live up to what I suspect is their ideas from the trailer of it. I suspect the trailer was more sort of not action and drama filled, Mary. I don't know. I'm not kind of sure mm-hmm. where it, where it's where that kind of was, but I, I suspect that they didn't see the film that they were they were being sold in that respect. But yes. Loved it. I thought it was it was kind of creepy without being overly creepy. It wasn't particularly bloody, like you said, Mary. There's not a lot of blood or anything actually on screen. It reminded me in that respect of the Peter Strickland film, Bavarian Sound Studio. Oh, yes, I love that film. Where yeah. it's the guy that's doing the sound effects for all the horror films. Mm-hmm. And you see the camera always focuses on him. And there's all these things going on and he's like smashing melons and all this sort of stuff to actually make the, the sounds that go into these horror films. It was very reminiscent of that. Was that thunder in the background there? Yeah. 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 Uh, Perfect so. timing for when you're talking about sound effects. That was <laughs> I love the fact that it was set in the 80s as well because it was... The 80s, in a lot of respects, were sort of hangover from the 70s, the sort of the, the glam era where things were like overly bright and there was a lot of glitter going about well, in so many respects. It was quite 
it was very dark and grey and muted and everything. All the telephones are all muted. They were brown, for God's sake. You had brown telephones sitting in your house and all this. And every time that you saw the main character in sort of real life, it was all brown and it was grey and people were smoking. There was there was no colouring at all. And then there was the, the sequences where, was it, was it a dream or was it in our mind or whatever? And they were filled with colour. There was colour saturation, the, the jalo effect. Lots of greens and reds and everything to uh, signify blood and family and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, I was totally taken in with it. I loved the movie. I thought it was really good. Excellent. And uh, you mentioned that, but the kind of like the, the slow burn aspect had a lot of critics where we can't put off of that. It feels to me that there's almost a uh, subgenre of British horror movies that comes under this style, this very slow burn creating a very atmosphere of unease and it doesn't necessarily always build to some crescendo but when it does it's very effective and the kind of films that come to mind you about this we mentioned St. Maud Kill List I think was very similar in style to that although you could argue more kind of happens in that movie there was also In the Earth I went to see recently uh, this year as well again you could put all these films under the same umbrella and I did think when I was watching this, it did remind me of Ben Whitley's movies. Maybe that's unfair to the director and unfair to this style of British horror. But it did remind me of his movies. Maybe because Michael Smiley was in it as well. <laughs> he seems to <laughs> pop up and he seems to pop up quite a lot in Ben Whitley's films. But yeah, I mean, watching this movie, it I can take these films and leave them. It just it needs to be really exceptional for me for it to grip me. Like Killers, for example, I loved a lot of the other movies that we kind of mentioned, not so much. Watching this, it didn't really do much to kind of grab me. But the last 15 to 20 minutes, I was blown away. And I would rather have a film that leaves me with a good ending than really good with a bad ending. A bad ending because you always remember the ending. And it, it just it, it just became more surreal in a good way rather than I kind of like, let's go crazy and wheel for the sake of it, which I, I felt at times it was in danger of doing. But the payoff really worked for it. Mary, what did you think it ended? Did you think it was did you think it earned its ending? Absolutely. I think the whole idea of this film is your you know, it's funny because they talk about censoring these films because it was bad for people's mental health to be exposed to such trauma. Now Enid's character is exposed to trauma or whatever on a daily basis because that's her job. She is a censor. And I feel like this film's reflective of that because you're essentially watching her mental decline throughout the film she's coming to terms with these images that she's seen but also piecing together this whole idea that her sister is missing her parents are willing to declare her dead and that she's really you know somewhere in her head she thinks or maybe she has we don't know that she's you know responsible for this for this loss of this sister so i think that the, the ending you know we'll probably get into it later but there's a really clever thing done with the aspect ratio as well sort of two-thirds through the the film as well and I think this all builds towards this thing of you know she's losing her grip on reality so what are we seeing here are we seeing things through Enid's eyes the way we've seen up until this point or are we watching something that's going on inside her head or are we watching a video nasty being made we don't know and I think that when it builds and builds and builds then you get those kind of short sharp cuts at the end almost similar to that kind of like flick moment in St Maud where you literally you know, obviously see she's, she's on fire I kind of jumped the first time the first little cut came in and it's the black and white and I was like oh oh god this is not what's happening then and it really to me I thought it was so well executed because it really leaves you with this feeling of I have no idea what I've if what I've just seen is real and and we've been taken into Enid's decline essentially yeah you can, yeah, see, you can really see that can't you because you, it's 
almost as if it's a lot of it's from her perspective and nobody mm -hmm. else's because the camera follows her everywhere it's always in her presence i don't think there are any scenes that she's not involved in so you, you're never really leaving her presence so you don't know whether it is real or whether it's not real and again it's quite ambiguous you're you're left to your your own decision on this throughout the film i don't think it's really played out in any i'm not giving anything away here mm -hmm. but i don't think it's really sort of signposted one way or the other I no. should just point out as well, sorry, that the trailer for this film, if you actually go back and watch it, kind of makes it look like a sort of jumpy, horror, slashy type of, you know, like a video nasty type of film almost. So I think if, this is why I kind of said, if you're expecting that, you're probably not going to enjoy it because it definitely is almost, I don't want to say a character study because that makes it sound really boring and it's definitely not, but it is it's very character driven almost like a psychological drama, maybe? Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's very character-driven, but not necessarily a character study, because we don't find out a lot about mm. the character in it here. We just... We, we, we know what we know, and that's all we need. And it's not so much about her as a person, it's her actions. You know, it's that's what I kind of feel anyway. It's like, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a character study, but very, very character-driven. And as you're saying, John, as well, she seems to be in every single scene. For the most part, which again just gonna make a reference to Joker there. That's what happened with Joker as another film, that kind of ambiguity of the unreliable narrator, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it works if you have the person uh, you, you can't have subplots. You can't just go away to two different characters speaking independent mm -hmm. of the main person because that would just take you out of their story completely. And apparently there's a duty scene for Joker actually. I mean his neighbor Zazzy Beats Zazzy Beats. Um yeah, there's a, there's a scene later on, apparently, where you see the rights happening, you see her in the apartment watching it. Now, is he imagining she's watching it, or is she really watching it in that aspect? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it kind of, it would have worked, and I think he did really kind of, it's a tight movie in that kind of aspect. There's not a lot of kind of waste. It's a very short runtime as well. It's about an hour and 20 minutes, I think. Yeah, yeah it's de it was definitely less than the 90. I think it was like 80 yeah. or something like that, yeah, definitely. And I say, I, I kind of thought kind of towards kind of midpoint, it was maybe a bit too weird for the sake of being weird with the introduction of the director and things like that because i was starting to kind of question not so much the reality of the situation but is this just being surreal now but i like i said with again too much guess but i think the ending and especially when the the final third kind of happens it really pays off everything that's came before it and makes sense in its own weird way i love that quote where she meets the director and he says you know, people blame us for creating the horror and they don't realise that the horror is all around them. And it's a wee bit on the nose, right? I get that. But when you look back at the rest of the film and there's these little, you know, the underpasses that she's working are grim as fuck. The sexual politics at work are clearly, you know, the, even the sexual politics of video nasties themselves, the way women are, you know, treated. There's the whole set up with her family, you know, even just the grim thing of the way she picks the skin off her thumb. Like the whole film has been building up to this point that, you know, these movies are the the least of your worries. Just look at what's happening outside in the world. And it's just, I love that. As I say, it's a little on the nose, but I loved how it all kind of built up to that. And then you're sort of let loose into this, you know, kind of final third of the, the film or whatever. But I just, oh, I could rave about this all day. Clearly, I'm, I'm clearly set up to just talk about this all the time. But I just, I was totally taken in by it. I really was. Which is fine. I don't really mind the message being on the nose either because of what the film's about. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't think there's anything wrong. Sometimes when I mention it's a bit too blunt, none of those, sometimes it's required. It was interesting when you talk about it letting loose in the, the final third. I like the way that it built up that by the, the use of sort of camera techniques. It's a sort of standard horror technique that you get the over the shoulder shot. It's always shot from behind. Anytime she was walking, it seemed to be from behind and it was always looking at her. And then it, there was a couple instances where it switched suddenly. And I think it was there was one where she was walking down the passageway. I'm assuming it was like a, a railway station or a tunnel to like a subway station. And just behind her were two lights and it looked as if there were eyes actually looking at her. And that was very creepy. And then he repeated the director, sorry, the director, she repeated that about 15 minutes later, but in a slightly different way as well. But again, it was like two eyes sort of looking at her and sort of almost like judging her. It was almost like, it, for me, it kind of, it was like questioning her sanity, if you like, and sort of mm -hmm. saying, well, you know, uh, these are the eyes that are watching you kind of thing. And I thought that was, that was particularly good. And the eyes seemed to play a very important part in the film in general because it's always seen everything that you see on the screen is from the perspective as i said from the perspective of enid but they're always watching stuff they're always watching films or the there's a lot of close-ups of them and it's always focused on the top half of their face and everything as well mm -hmm. and when she looks through that video cassette she's watching that and when she pauses it because she thinks it's somebody she recognises, it's the eyes that she yeah. reacts to. She says, I know those eyes, I've seen those before. And it's, it seems to be all the way through it, there's that sort of wee element to it, which is quite subtle. But And then, obviously, it's a, the voyeuristic thing with the, the, the final third, when it just goes, <laughs> we're just going to go crazy. Even just the fact that, like, so she's a glasses wearer as well. Like, she puts her glasses on to, to watch these movies. So, so when you're, I mean, some of the shots I just thought were beautiful, the way she was framed. But some of the shots when she's watching these movies, you're seeing literally the reflection of the cinema screen back. So there's there's so much going on with how she's viewing things and how she's seeing things and can we trust what she's, it, yeah, it's, it's so well done. It really is. Yeah, it's very stylistic. Stylistic is a very, very clever movie and how it's shot and it's just of graphics and imagery and that. And... I, 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 didn't, I didn't love it the same way as you did, Mary. Uh, I enjoyed it. As I say, especially the, the final third for me really really redeemed it. I think some of the critics are a bit harsh based on that because as, not sound too pretentious here, but as a piece of art, you know, it's, 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 it's a very well-constructed movie uh, with a lot of depth to it. It's just not uh, in-your-face, crazy, violent horror. And as you mentioned earlier, Maybe people expected that based on the, the theme of the movie regarding video nasties. Those movies did tend to be really kind of over the top and gory. This this isn't. I also think in a way we've not become immune to video now because I'm sure as we'll talk, you know, we've touched on films that we personally wouldn't choose to see because of, you know, how graphic they are. But I, I do think to a certain extent as horror has evolved and, you know, rating systems have changed and how we consume media is, is different. I do think we have become a little bit immune to kind of slasher horror or blood or gore or all that sort of thing and so when you're presented with something that's actually a little bit more psychological it's almost like that's harder to process because it's getting under your skin as opposed to you know that blood and guts isn't real yeah yeah it's interesting the fact obviously that video nasties were getting blamed or just even the fact that they were coined as video nasties they were used as a political tool and the film mm -hmm. touches on that a couple of times and that they this 
the censors are under real pressure to basically ban as many films as possible. If then at one point the sort of head of the, uh, the the censor says, if there's any doubt at all, just ban it. Don't even you know you don't need to have a debate about it. Just it it doesn't get passed through, and it it's all got to do with the political agenda at the time. It was to try and detract from the fact that the government was in real crisis in the, the early eighties. So they, they look for somebody to blame for all of society's ills. We've we've seen it time and time again mm-hmm. with video games, with with uh, Lady Chatterley's Lover, things like that. You know, things are obscene things that they say people are going to use in order to commit crimes. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I lived in Renfrewshire. There wasn't an awful lot of axe murdering going on. Killer killers. Yeah, there, there wasn't a whole lot of that going on around about that time. So I think I was fairly immune from it, as I think most people probably were. It was. I remember living through it at the time because I am obviously considerably older than you young you young Turks sitting there. Uh, but, and it was ridiculous at the time that they were blaming all sorts of films. And what happened was these films get built up in such a way that everybody wanted to see them. And they were ultimately mm-hmm. left disappointed when they actually saw them because it, was, it, it wasn't it was in any way as realistic as they were made out to be. No. They, was, they were as gory as they were made out to be. Like the Exterminator, for instance, where a guy gets fed through a, a big mincing machine. I saw that one and thought, yeah, it's pretty gruesome, but it wasn't anything, you know, it was, it was fairly tame. If you watched it now, you'd be going, mm, yeah, very tame, considering what, with what you can see in Netflix right now, Same you know. Both. Interesting, if you get a heart of those kind of points there, because uh, I don't know if you've seen Fear Street. I have, yeah. I was actually, I was just thinking about that, yeah. because I just watched the first one of that yesterday, and... It was cracking really good, but yeah, there's some real, some really good axe murdering going on in that one as well. Yeah, Aye. there's a particular death scene in that, and it just takes you totally for surprise because the film is not the film's tame, but it's very much in a scream type of vein. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this murder can kind of left field a lot, and you're like, Whoa, I can't believe yeah. they just attacked. No, I need to watch them actually. I've, I've, I've seen mixed reviews on Twitter, but I mean, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't like it personally. Ah, right, okay. We kind of touched on what we were saying though, like we, we have access to so much stuff now, we can watch so much stuff at home that, you know, you wouldn't get this kind of like, you know, under the counter, you know, get a, not a dirty movie, like a, like a, a gory movie in a paper bag to take home and watch with your mates and stuff like that, because it doesn't exist because we all consume media like, you know, differently now, but it's, it is, it's kind of funny when you think about it, because there's that lovely montage at the start of the film where she uses clips from these so-called video nasties and even now you're looking at it and you're like well that looks like ketchup like that doesn't how is that ever like terrifying but it's funny how things change exactly you can imagine the barrelands you know and you know try to get some kind of dodgy band film no even no i don't mean i don't mean like a blue movie so to speak i can't use that term but you know as we'll talk about as we'll talk about later there's plenty of films that have been banned just Mm -hmm. uh, that you can now see quite easily uh doesn't necessarily mean there's anything kind of like Saucy about something, just uh, you keep going back to this. Have you noticed this? Mary keeps going back to you. Uh He knows knows all the terms saucy and blue. I'm starting to sound like like a fucking carry on film. (laughs) I feel like we're going to get a childhood revelation about the first time Simi found porn in a bush in the park. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, is that not how everybody of their generations? Nowadays, these kids don't know what it's like for their internets, <laughs> their playstations. But 
yeah, maybe maybe they had an idea with '95 for censoring things. But anything else you want to discuss with this movie? I think we've kind of exhausted all the kind of main points, unless only just the soundtrack to it. Oh, the soundtrack's good. Yeah, good point. There wasn't much of it to begin with. It was very sort of muted, and it really kicked in sort of a halfway through. And it was it wasn't so much a soundtrack; it was more a soundscape, if you like. Mm-hmm. Because it, it took in the elements that were actually within the film itself, and it added to them, and it was like lots of lots of deep bass rumbling and things like that, sort of eerie synths and all that, which is quite reminiscent of a lot of eighty stuff. It reminded me a wee bit of some of the John Carpenter stuff for mm-hmm. some of his earlier films as well, without the, the sort of the, the string stabs and things like that. It was it was quite atmospheric, but it really, really worked. It really fitted in very, very nicely, especially in the, the dream sequences. I loved that bit. I also just thought it was a really neat touch, as you will read in my movie scramble review when it comes out, that just throughout the film we're talking about, you know, Enid's mental decline. She starts off, she's like, you know, very prim and proper and she's got the hair in the bun and everything's very neat. And just as the film goes on, it's like one strand of hair comes out. And then it's like two strands of cut, and it's yeah. literally just this visual representation of how you know we're sort of spiraling with her. But I, I kind of love this because, like, when I think of the eighties, I think of like neon and crimp tear and like leg warmers and that sort of thing, the kind of Stranger Things type of eighties. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I've never really looked at God's Britain in the eighties. Just like so fucking grim here. Like we obviously missed the the uh, bright, colourful phase because it's just it's like there's rubbish piling up in the streets. There's political unrest. Everyone like when you see like, even just the queues of her like and when she's the queues to get on the like the subway and when she's getting the bus home, everyone just looks bloody miserable. It just looks like everyone's drawn in. It just looks such a like a grim time and and in essence, obviously, just the perfect setting for this particular movie. No, I think that's a fair point. There's not a kind of lot of nostalgia in this movie. Uh, we usually kind of associate with eighties movies, mm-hmm. and but the movie is still very much an eighties film. Doesn't doesn't no get away with that, and it's just a different take on a time that's almost been romanticised in many ways. Whereas well, there was also this part of it where we're not talking about this really dark, horrible part because as we'll discuss, a lot of these films that did get banned and stuff total nature reactions to things but yeah there was other parts of the, the decade not just all tight leather pants and glam rock you and i had very different 80s obviously i don't think i <laughs> <laughs> don't think i went near anything like that but if you've got photos please share oh i suppose that'll be for your only fans won't it yeah yes. that will be for general consumption <laughs> Anything else regarding this movie, or I'll be happy to put a pin in it. Yep, good for happy me. To, yeah, happy to. Yep, put a pin in it and, and obviously thoroughly recommend as well. Nice. I say I would recommend this movie. It's not my favourite movie of the year. I'm not going to lie. I find these kind of slow burn British horrors of it. Oh, what a name for a subgenre! I really do. I find it very, very hit and miss. And watching this in the house. Even as a short runtime, I did find my mind starting to wander a little bit. Even about halfway mark, but I'm really glad I stuck with it because, yeah, I, I absolutely loved the ending. I thought the stylistically and technically, it was, inc- it was just incredible to see and it was really effective and quite terrifying, to be honest. John? Yep, yeah, I would recommend it because, well, mainly it's, it's my type of film. I can understand why some people wouldn't like it, but... They're not my friends and I don't want them to be my friends. So that's fine by me. I've got enough friends that like these sort of things. Uh, yeah, 
give it a watch. It's only 80, 82 minutes long. Yeah, it's worth worth that amount of anybody's time. And you can tell that the director really has a, a passion for the subject as well. It's just, It really comes through very, very nicely indeed. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's kind of unanimous from us isn't it, in a way. Go and check this film out. Also, you're also supporting British horror, which is always important to do, regardless, even if you don't like the film or not, <laughs> if you don't fancy it. But no, it's a good movie. Definitely worth checking out. Just please be warned, it's not going to be your typical balls-in-your-face horror movie. I don't know why I came up with that, that phrase there. What kind of films have you been watching, Sammy? I feel like your brain's on something different today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got to leave it like that. Yeah, wouldn't like to speculate. Let's leave that floor. But as this movie it does revolve and centre on the theme of censorship and video nasties, we have decided to discuss our favourite movies, or notable movies, I should say, that have been banned. Doesn't necessarily be in the UK. Could have been caused some controversy somewhere in the world. Doesn't necessarily have been banned as such. But I think all the films we discussed have been banned in one way or another. Yes. If it's controversy, it's going to be banned in some way, I suppose. But uh, I believe I'm up first, so I will go with my first pick, which is a film I don't even like, to be honest with you. It's not necessarily that I agree with... I I don't agree it should have been banned, but I do agree a lot with the criticism of it. And that is The Human Centipede 2, full sequence. Now, The Human Centipede first movie was carried in promotional material by a lot of hype. And the fact that it was this crazy idea, the tagline was like 100% medically accurate and things like that. And people really wanted to see it because like, this guy's going to turn people into a human centipede. It was a very unique horror movie that the word of mouth carried alone. It's quite fun in its own way. It's a bit over the top. It's a bit daft. This movie isn't. It's set in a world where the human centipede is a movie. And there's this guy, very creepy guy, becomes obsessed with the film and wants to create his own human centipede. And it's really kind of like over the top in a bad way. It's excessively violent and gross. Uh, The BBFC called it undoubtedly tasteless and disgusting. And actually believed it was potentially in breach of Obscene Publications Act and at first refused to give it a classification. Now all that did... This is 2011. It was create a buzz around the movie, especially the fact that it was a sequel. So anybody that knew of the first one or seen the first one really wanted to see the second one. The BBFC, unfortunately, did the market material for this film and did eventually release it after some cuts. It's not a good film. It really isn't. But yeah, it was it was banned. I don't believe it should have been banned. Obscene Publications Act, again, that law in itself is the films that come under that you know i think that should be used for real extreme examples this is a horror film and i don't think anybody's going to be like influenced by it to go and start their own fucking human centipede <laughs> because i've watched it although interesting enough that is a plot of this film but yeah, yeah. stupid stupid banning but they didn't release it and as, as the director even said you know it's okay my dear people it's a fucking movie it's all fictional it's not real it's make-believe it's art don't really believe that's the last part, but there are parts he's writing. As he said, get people their own choice to watch it or not. And I agree with that. And yeah, it did get released. And I think after that, people went, and what was really that it? Because again, this day and age, especially even 2011, 
people have seen much worse. Have either of you seen it? I do not want to see a film where someone's mouth is sewn to someone's arsehole, like ever. I don't, I don't need enough. that in my life. I just, I don't know, I find I'd, I've missed it. I didn't watch the first one. I just thought, this doesn't seem like my thing at all. And this, by the time the second one came out and I saw that image of the, the guy that's in the second one, I can't remember his name. He's got the big thick glasses on and, just, and he just looked grubby and I was like, definitely <laughs> fucking not. So I just, but you're right though, Simi, when you, when you think about things like this, the BBFC almost sort of do your publicity for you because it's like, no, it's it's too obscene for anyone to ever, you know, be exposed to it or whatever. I just, it's definitely not art though, is it? I just, nah. <laughs> it's not for me. No thanks. Nah. I'm not convinced it's that. Did you see John? I did. I, boy, I only watched about half of it because I just thought it was shite. Uh, it wasn't yeah. even, oh, <laughs> sorry, pure choice of words there, obviously. But <laughs> it was just rubbish. And like you say, the, the publicity was done for them not just in this country because obviously it gets banned in one country then it's going to have a, a much bigger audience in other countries as well just through the fact that it's you know you know banned in the uk splattered across all the posters you know come and see it but yeah it's uh, the hype did it no favors and that it was just not a particularly good film it obviously did what it was supposed to do made a lot of money for filmmakers but no nah, it was just it was just nonsense it was just rubbish yeah, even so much so that it got a third one, uh, which again was, the tone was totally different yet again, but more in line with the first one, but very much different for this one. It just didn't work. I didn't work, in my opinion, but yeah. Oh, Christ, who's next? Hey, I think it's me. My first pick is 1974's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was banned in, oh God, a whole big list. Brazil, France, Germany, Australia, Canada, Finland, Iceland, the UK, Sweden and Singapore for graphic depictions of violence, gore and cruelty. And I always find this really strange because to me, Texas Chainsaw is one of the least gory horror films I think I've ever seen. Like, you don't see anything or virtually nothing in it. And it's actually one of my favourite horrors because again to me it feels more psychological you know it's set in the daylight which is traditionally a signifier for you know safe it's you know it kind of throws every, all the kind of usual horror tropes sort of out on out on their arse and I love the I just love it you watch it and straight away I feel like you can smell sort of like rotten flesh and all the flies and everything that are swimming about and the dinner table scene to this day really scares the shit out of me it's really like it's so creepy and so weird and I just I love it and I don't understand how it's been banned for you know gore and violence because to me it's one of the more like, one of the certainly for me someone who doesn't really like gore and violence it's a horror film that I can definitely stomach if you'll pardon the pun because you don't really see anything I just think it's I mean I know there's it spans sort of a million kind of sequels and prequels and, and whatever which are probably getting infinitely more you know graphic and disgusting as they go on but I think as, as horror movies go I think it's it's really well done it's really clever and I, I, I'm surprised it was ever banned in the first place because it, it's not really gory and and the irony is of course you know the, the fear of someone copying what they've seen on screen well Leatherface is obviously allegedly based on the serial killer Ed Gein who did exist long before this movie ever did so it's not really life imitating art it's art imitating life so but it's one of my favourite horror movies I, I know you guys have both seen it as well so it's just just interesting that it was banned for, for those reasons because to me it's it's definitely not that bad it's quite tame yeah definitely it is when I first watched it, I was a little disappointed by it because I was expecting so much more. And I, and I was like, really? This is a movie that everybody's kind of like talking about. It was banned in that. There are some freaky parts in it. Don't get me wrong. There's some pretty kind of like creepy, scary moments, as you should expect for a horror film. But yeah, on the banned list, it's a bit, uh, ridiculous. 
I'm just thinking, like, for 1974, was it was it even graphic for, for then? There's got to be worse out before that, surely. Oh, there's bound to have been. Yeah, definitely. I think I've told you this before. I'm not 100% sure, but this was the first film that I watched on video. Oh, uh, wow. Back, back in the late 80s. It was the first video. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm getting all misty-eyed here now thinking about it. It was a Ferguson <laughs> video recorder that... Uh, was the first one that we bought. My mum and dad bought it. And obviously the first thing you do is you go to the video shop when they had video shops, of course, and get a couple of videos. And this was the first one that we actually got as a family to sit down and watch. <laughs> a real wholesome family viewing. <laughs> and it was like me, my two sisters, my mum, my dad, and one of my grannies sat and watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre all together. And it hasn't affected me in any way. I am perfectly normal. <laughs> it was, it, it was like you said, Thomas. It, it was marketed, or it was it built up this reputation as being a bit of a video nasty, and it didn't come across that way at all. Yeah, there was some some graphic imagery, if you like, but that was more sort of psychological rather than it wasn't like lots of gore and stuff like that. It was it was the more of the chat around it that seemed to fuel the fire with this one. But it, it was. A good film. I remember watching and thinking, "That's a great film." I need to watch that again. That was, it was really good, you know. But yes, I very good choice, maybe. Interesting sequels as well. I may add. Have never seen any of them, but I knew you would. I knew you'd be the expert on Texas Chainsaw sequels. So yeah. <laughs> there's one yeah, with okay. Matthew McConaughey, isn't there? Yeah. Was that a yeah. remake or was that a sequel? It was a sequel. Oh. They they brought in some crazy plot that oh, I don't even get it. It was trying to explain. It was basically trying to explain that like there was some kind of like was it alien forces controlling Leatherface or something. I can't remember. It was ridiculous. Chinks. That should be banned just for being shit. Like a shit idea. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was a bureau that could actually stop these things being made in the first place. I know. <laughs> uh, okay, my first pick is the 1971 Stanley Kubrick film A Clockwork Orange. This was a film that was it was heavily controversial at the time and was withdrawn voluntarily from British cinemas by Stanley Kubrick in 1972, I believe, on the back of a lot of criticism that the film had received and the fact that it got brought up in at least three court cases where scenes from the film were used to reference crimes that had actually been committed and they tried to link the film to these crimes saying it was an influence to it. Based on the book by Anthony Burgess, it's uh, set in a dystopian future where gangs rule, if they like, the young sort of teenage rebellious gangs. It's Malcolm McDowell's in the, the sort of the, the lead role of it and it's him and his gang the the drugs who basically do whatever the hell they want which ranges from robbing and stealing and raping and also and kicking a tramp to death i think that was one of the highlights of the film which was brought up in a, a court case later on and then it's the rehabilitation of alex which is almost as controversial as the all the acts that uh, him and his gang actually carried out in the first place. Like I say, this was subject to quite a lot of controversy because of the the way that the, the violence was so casual in it. There was that it was seen as them not there was no consequences in the first half whatsoever. They they got away with 
got away with it and they did whatever they wanted. And there's a particular scene in it where they basically carry out a, a home invasion and they, it's an older couple and they, they rape the, the wife and they are singing Singing in the Rain at the same time while they're doing this. Apparently, this proved to be a little controversial because Gene Kelly hated it. He hated it for two reasons. One, because of the scene itself, and two, because he didn't get paid any royalties for them actually using it in the film. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell had a, a story I'd heard a couple of years ago where he said that when he went to Hollywood for the first time, he was at a party, and somebody, a mutual friend, introduced him to Gene Kelly, and Gene Kelly just turned his back on him and walked away. He just wouldn't talk to him at all because of that. Probably more to do with the money than anything else, but it was to do with the fact that it was now associated with this particular film in a way that some other music gets associated with particular films, with Reservoir Dogs, for instance, that kind of idea. But yes, I take it both of you will have seen this film since it, is, it has been widely available in the UK for what, maybe about 20 years now. Do you know, I watched it for the first time last year. Yeah, I think you told me that, yes, yeah. Tried reading the book years ago and couldn't understand a word of it, so I couldn't I couldn't get past the first page. Basically, there was just so many. I was constantly flipping back and forth to the bibliography to see what the kind of words meant, and I think if I stuck with it, it all kind of made sense. But yeah, I just I wasn't able to fit it in. But I can actually see it from here. I'll go back to it at some point. But yeah, I did like the movie when I watched it. I can understand why it was controversial, as you'll see, John, based on the fact that it's it's incredibly. It's not graphic with its violence, but it's very unsettling. Yeah, I think it's the callousness of it. I remember my dad telling me at the time, I think he also went to see it in the cinema or whatever, or maybe got a video copy or whatever, and was saying about the the court case with the, the homeless man who was kicked to death and did a bit of research and read about the other things. And I must admit, I found it really hard to get through in the sense that it, it is, there's no, con as you say, John, there's there's no consequence for the first half. And these are not, and not not likable people in the sense that we were talking about earlier, like succession. They're just awful. Like, you know, they're free for all in terms of their violence, their cavalier attitude. But then I actually find the scene, the kind of famous scene with the eyeball, you know, things with the pension even harder to watch because I've got a real phobia about people touching my eyes. So that really makes me feel sick as well. But it's, I, I can see why it was banned because it's not, because it is violence that's copyable. If you want to put it that way, it's not someone swinging about a, a chainsaw or wearing a, you know, face of somebody else's face or whatever. I mean, these obviously have happened as well, but the, the violence in it is so easily replicated in real life. So I can understand why, you know, people maybe got a bit, frightened by it but it's ah, it's one of those kind of iconic pieces of, of cinema isn't it so yeah and I actually watched a film the other day called I Am Hooligan and it's one of those kind of low budget on prime I think the hooligan style films it is what it is yeah that's all I'll say about it but the ending of it really riffs heavily on the opening of Clockwork Orange uh, they're all sitting and he's even, he's even sitting with a glass of milk it's, it's, I mean, it's talk about, talk about things that are on the nose. This is very on the nose, and yeah, film still influenced in that aspect. But yeah, I mean, I can also, I can also, I can see people watching this movie. And I can unfortunately see this. I can see copycats from this, based to say, mm -hmm. as you say, Mary, Texas Chainsaw, you even said the Yeah, it was interesting <laughs> how like you mentioned the milk there. 
they couldn't tag the film with anything like drug abuse or alcohol or anything like that because they drank milk all the time. And it's interesting to see how the film has actually been rehabilitated over the years because it is now regarded as being an iconic film. And you mm -hmm. see references to it. Like there was uh, the blur did a video and they took a lot of images from the Corova milk bar and things like that. And it's been in The Simpsons. Bart Simpson has dressed up like Alec with the eye and the bowler hat. Oh, it's become a Halloween costume now. Like, I think that's the thing. It's become a kind of iconic Halloween costume. It also, I don't know if this has started the thread of villains drinking milk, but there's a lot of films, and even if you watch The Boys and stuff recently, there's there's a lot of things where the bad guys drink milk sort of thing, you know? And uh, apparently it's in Space Jam, the new Space Jam film. There's oh lots of Orange characters in that. That's incredible. In a kids movie. Just it's pop culture, though, the it is. Yeah. Well, I they don't need to pay for it. Sell Warner it's... Brothers property, so. Mm. But that's the thing, though. Like you almost feel like it's become the bowler hat and the eyelashes, as opposed to understanding. Well, you know, I bet there's loads of people or guys, whatever, that dress up like that for Halloween without having having never seen the film. Um, no, but it's it's the style of it, isn't it? It's very iconic. Yeah. Why let reality get in the way of a good time? We all blow our heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? You, know, you have that kind of person walks up to him and say, who name three Malcolm and Dove movies? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Thomas, I believe it's you. My next, my next pick is, uh, again, a film that when I first watched it, uh, I liked Texas Chainsaw, so I was kind of like, eh, is that it? But I've grown to, I've grown to appreciate in later years is uh, The Exorcist, originally released in 1974 which was interesting because when it was given to the BBFC, they passed it. They gave it an X certificate, but they released it. And it wasn't until 1979 they went back and reviewed the film and decided, actually, do you know what? There's, there's things in here we can cut. There's, there's, there's reasons to ban it. And I think it's quite an interesting one because the movie was released and under pressure, they went back and decided to ban it five years later. Obviously, in America... You know, a lot of kind of religious groups um, protesting this, and it came of its own marketing campaign where people were reporting to be vomiting, fainting, and things like that, heart attacks even in the cinemas. Over here, though, audiences were kind of like, yeah, a bit more nonplussed but it didn't stop the movie again from being banned. They even tried to insinuate that because Linda Blair was young in it, that she might have been vulnerable, and the film could have come under the Protection of Children Act, which came in in 1978. Again, I think they were clutched at straws here. They just really wanted to ban this film. So they did. And it was banned until about... Well, it was released in video by, by Warner Home Video in 81. And there was no requirement that video should be classified with BBFC at that point. And when that law came in, eventually the film was banned again. I think it was 1999 that the movie actually got released uncut. And again, you watch it and you're thinking, why? Why was this movie banned? It's not real. Yes, yeah, it's quite shocking that the special fact that actress's age, I mean, all the blood is really young in it, but are we going to get copycats here? Are we going to have people influenced <laughs> by the movie? Is it degrading people? I mean, the Obscene Publications Act is a very interesting law. If you look it up, I did some at uni in regards to censorship. And I don't know. I don't know why they banned this movie, other than pressure, personally. I don't think it was a wise decision. It only kind of added legend to it. And then when it did come out, people kind of like, is this a movie I wasn't allowed to see for like 20 odd years? Again, eventually mm -hmm. with Texas Chainsaw and things like that. And most films, to be fair, don't really kind of stand the test of time when it comes to that. But yeah, 
classic horror film though, and unlike a lot of the kind of films that get banned for being overly gratuitous of that, this is a movie that I'm glad did get a proper release because it's it's a great movie. I remember my dad saying, and I, I don't know if it's a publicity stunt or if it was a real thing, that there was priests standing outside the cinema, like begging people not to go and see it, they said it would be bad for your, your soul and all that sort of thing. I and mean, if it was a PR stunt, that's cracking. But yeah. I genuinely do believe that there was a lot of pressure from religious groups, obviously, because it was you know to do with possession, all that sort of thing. I still haven't seen this film the whole way through because I watch it like this. <laughs> And I don't know why, because some of the special effects haven't aged particularly well, but there's something about this film that really scares the shit out. I think the spider walk down the stairs in particular really just has me, you know, feeding for my immortal soul. And uh, it, it scares the crap out of me. I think it holds up. I think it's really well done. Yeah, it's still a really good story. I watched it last year for the first time in about 10 years or something. And... I was disappointed in the the effects and they have not aged very well at all. But the story, we, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big boy. I'm growing up. I can put that to the side and just sit and watch a film and enjoy it. And yeah, the story still holds up really well. It's just amazing how much influence this one particular film has had on basically the, the horror genre for 40, 50 years now. It's, it's it's incredible that so many people, if you just talk about horror films, the first one to go to is The Exorcist before really mm. anything else. It's amazing. Yeah, definitely. That's a film as well. It's it's interesting that this film is banned, but the sequels were still available. And it's became such a pop culture movie as well now. And you've got like, I got two sequels and it's got a stage play, a TV series. TV series is actually quite good as well. But you can imagine it was still banned, though, but all these other parts of it and medium weren't. You know, I mean, the book was, I don't, I don't think the book was banned. Uh, and that's a scary book. That's, 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 that's a pretty scary book. Yeah, in the appendix of the book, it gives you the, the incantations and everything of how to actually carry out an exorcism. Oh, no. No. <laughs> Honestly, that's my that's my Catholic schooling being like, nope, 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 I don't need to know any of this. I think, yeah, I am. Um, Possession horror has become like its own thing, right? Because I mean, there's so many different movies that sort of touch on that. Obviously, we quite like the, the Conjuring films on this pod and stuff like that as well. But this is, yeah, this is still the film that, yeah, as I said, despite the fact that the effects are a little bit ropey, you know, the pea soup and that sort of thing, it's a film that I still really makes me feel like properly like frightened to my core because it's just like it's so it's so well done and like the the actors playing the priest and everything. They are. They look terrified. Like their reactions and everything are so convincing that you're just like, this could be real. It's, it's really frightening. Yeah. Apart from the precept, obviously. And I can believe that uh, it wasn't publicity stunts with the with the priest and things like that. But I remember hearing a similar story with an interview with a vampire. Apparently, people were fainting and stuff. But there was ambulances parked outside. What? <laughs> but it's not even like there's nothing to it. There's nothing. <laughs> that seems bizarre. I don't even class that as a horror. It's like a homoerotic thriller. <laughs> Two dads <laughs> raising their daughter together. It's not a horror. No, but it's very bloody though. There's a lot of blood in it. And I think that was just freaking people out with biting the rats and stuff like that. Uh, that like, oh. For some reason that doesn't scare me the way that The Exorcist does. But wow, okay, I didn't realise that people were fainting it. That's interesting. interesting. 
My next pick is obviously is not a horror at all. It's the Monty Python 1979 movie, The Life of Brian, which again, my dad was like on a run with like bullies and saddles and things like that. So I think he introduced me to this around about the same time. It was banned in Norway, the Republic of Ireland, many small towns in America and in some British cinemas for being blasphemous. Obviously, because the entire premise of the film is that Brian, well, he's not the messiah. He's, he's a very naughty boy. The whole point is there was lots of, you know, religious uh, iconography and, you know, obviously being very liberal with their interpretation of the, the Bible and the story of Christ. I think this is one of the funniest films I think I've ever seen. To me, it's like peak Python. There's the whole scene where they go in to meet the emperor and he's got this kind of slight speech impediment and he's called Biggest Dickest and his wife's called Incontinentia Bottom and it's just proper British toilet humour. There's, you know, the crack and sing along at the end. There's loads of jokes about, you know, the Judean people's front and the people's front of Judea and all the rival sort of political groups. And it's just held together by... Like, people who are clearly just enjoying themselves, having fun at work, the performances are funny, like, everyone's sort of on top form. And there's just, I understand why religious groups get very upset about it, because obviously Brian is, is not Christ as they perceive him. But I just think it's one of the funniest films ever made, and it's, like, Python at their best. I take it you guys have both seen it, yeah. Yes, I love, I love this film, it's great. It's quite sad that this film got banned more than anything. Because it's so joyous! It's so yeah. much fun, yeah. I think it was banned particularly in Glasgow, wasn't it? It was banned there for a long time. Oh, really? Because, yeah, well, Glasgow City Council is uh, famously run by Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> or they, they, they oh, I thought you were famously thing. devoid of joy, and I was like, yeah, Oh, well, yeah, they're pretty much devoid well. of joy as well, yeah. But they, they succumb to pressure from religious groups, and it was banned in Glasgow for a while, which is just it's unbelievable to think so. And it was long after its cinema release, it was actually banned. For, but you could like go across the border to like North Lanarkshire and go and see it there. You know, it's crazy. There's, I think there was actually a Vatican-led, like, I think this is how it got, like, I actually think there was like, a Vatican-led campaign, and I'm sure I read that was it, there was a town in Ireland or something like that that still had it banned as recently as 1999. Which is absolutely crazy, but it just obviously shows you the grip of you know various church communities within you know various towns. I can totally imagine the American evangelicals etc. getting upset about this as well because obviously it's just a complete piss take. But I just again, it's funny how when you think of banned films, you always kind of automatically go to the the horror genre. When I read that this was banned, I was like, oh, it's perfect to talk about. I absolutely love it. It's like I still love that scene at the end where he's like crucifixions, and he's like, nah, nah. They said I could go. <laughs> oh, really? Nah, just kidding. I'm here to get crucified. He just totals on in. I just love it so much. No, but you're right. I mean, like, we're kind of talking about kind of banned movies, and it always, especially the, in the UK, you think you've seen publications that you think are just kind of like really gory and violent films, like to corrupt, and then you think of something like Life of Brian, it's a comedy, and people are like, nope, can't be having that. And you, you've seen the clips online, I'm sure, of like John Cleese and that, uh, having debates with people in talk shows and just annihilating people. Without breaking yeah. a sweat, it's it's absolutely farcical. This film is banned, it really is. Yeah, that's the mistake they make. They 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 think that the people who make these films are idiots. They're stupid. They don't really know what they're talking about. But a lot of the time, they are far more intelligent than the people they're actually up against. Especially with uh, some of the religious groups, because they only have one agenda and they can't actually put it across properly. And they, they get made fools out, out of so many times. In a way, I think this is one of the the films that kind of changed a lot of attitudes 
towards films because there was uh, quite a big movement, obviously, in the UK, the Mary Whitehouse led. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what actual organisation was, but they were they mm. they were quite big at the time. And oh, she's referenced in Censor. Yeah, there? yeah. They kind of they were able to mobilise an awful lot of people. There was an awful lot of people who had the BBC complaint line on speed dial for things. <laughs> this is obviously pre-internet days, so you would have yeah. to phone up and complain, and they would record all oh, was you know, 3,600 calls about this particular television programme. But it was the controversy surrounding what is basically a comedy film, mm-hmm. I think changed a lot of people's ideas about what should be banned and what shouldn't be banned. Obviously, it was still horror films. That's a completely different matter. But for something, it's a comedy film, and, and it's just given a different point of view on a religious experience. I think that kind of people were saying, well, why are we even, you know, spending time debating this it should just be up to personal choice it shouldn't be the fact that you shouldn't be listening to somebody moralizing about something that a lot of the cases they hadn't even seen that's yeah. that's the, the bizarre yeah. thing they, they don't watch these things and then they complain about them just because they're professional complainers now we're, we're well, still with this today obviously yeah pretty much. that's the clip that they actually show in in censor where it's mary whitehouse saying i don't need to have seen it to know that it's bad for you you know sort yeah. of thing and the yeah. thing is we've obviously spoken about you know, like i'm i'm making a choice for my my sanity's sake not to watch human centipede and i don't need to see it to know that i'm you know it's it's not going to be for me but that's not because i don't or because i agree with censorship or i agree that these films should be should be banned i'm just making a choice that for me it's, it's just not going to be my thing in the same way that you know i, I don't watch a lot of movies because they're not going to be my thing because you know they have you and McGregor in them and stuff like that so but it's got nothing to do with it. being a being a prude or whatever john i think it's down to you back to you my second choice is the 1925 silent russian film the battleship potemkin you can't get much further away from a horror film than this this film was banned for its political content rather than anything else obviously it came out of Soviet Russia and it was very much seen by an awful lot of countries as being an incitement to revolution which if you've actually seen the film it kind of does but that's not quite the point. The film itself centres around the titular battleship Potemkin and it's the part that it played in its fight against the, the Russian empire at the time basically the crew mutinied and the people of Odessa where the film had actually docked came and joined in the protest and the Russian authorities fought back this was all set around about 1905 I think it was it's an absolutely fantastic movie it's just I know I keep saying this I've listened back to a few podcasts that we've actually done and I keep saying this is a fantastic movie. It seems to be <laughs> the cross that I seem to bear on these. But it is. It's so well done. It basically takes you through the various stages of the, the, the conflict, how it starts and how the Russian authorities actually react to it. There's a very famous scene, which is the Odessa Steps, which has been referenced so many times, most notably in The Untouchables, the Brian De Palma film. It's terrific. It's it's horrible the way that it's uh, been shown. People getting trampled and everything like that. It's just oh, it's, it's absolutely it's it's frightening to watch. But it's a really really powerful message. You can understand why it was 
band because it's the kind of thing that people would use in order to ignite some sort of uh, revolution. The film was banned in the UK till the mid-50s, I think it was. It was like 54 or 55. Yeah, I know. It's completely bizarre. It was felt it was too controversial until the death of Stalin. And because of that, it just wasn't available at all. It was even censored in, like, in Germany, it was censored. It was actually censored in Russia at one point as well, because there was a written introduction at the start of the film, and it was Trotsky that wrote it. Now, we, we all know what happened to Trotsky. He kind of fell out of favour, so therefore they banned it, because you had that bit until they managed to uh, re-edit it and take that out and put other stuff in. It's actually, the, the history of it from there is really, really interesting because Eisenstein put the film together with the idea that it was it was going to be relevant for generations to come. So in order to do that, he envisaged that the soundtrack would change and it would be done again and again. And if you have a quick scan online, you'll see that it's been maybe done like seven or eight different times. There's been different soundtracks done to it, some just for live performances, some for, like, I think there was a, a 50th anniversary reissue of it as well. There's actually a version of it that was done by the Pet Shop Boys in 2004 right. as well. What? I know, I know. And it's, it, it, it's the, just to make it more accessible to different mm -hmm. audiences to remind them that this film is actually out there because let's face it uh, a silent russian film in black and white may not be the easiest of sales out there it's just one of these films this was a film that i saw at glasgow city halls about oh it was about 10 years ago they had a, a print of it it was a big camera sitting at the back of the hall whirring away and there was a live orchestra playing as oh, well it amazing. was amazing just fantastic. It was a really good experience. It's something that you don't really get very often, so it was yeah. it was quite something. Have you guys seen this? You know, it's I, I'm I'm actually unsure if I've seen it all the way through. I know we watched it at uni as part of my Russian film class, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah just dropping and that in there. Yeah, just, just dropping yeah. that in. You know, and but I remember like. I remember, I remember specifically the Death of Step scene and just how it edited, how well it was edited as well. I mean, I was like, Stein was really kind of the forefront of film editing, but for what, I ha for what I remember the film anyway, I can't remember if I've seen it all the way through, but I remember from it, very, very powerful. Yeah, I think I got a double dose of it in film studies and in Slavonic studies, and I think I, what I couldn't get away with was that it was made in 1925 because it feels so fresh and so much like the editing is so contemporary and it's funny because I remember having a chat with someone a while ago and I can't remember who it was and they're like oh yeah the really famous uh, Untouchables staircase scene and I was like well actually that's from Eisenstein's Battleship Potemkin and I felt really really like a proper film student knob for doing that but it's I I can see why it was banned because obviously things were very fraught and tense yes back in that particular era but it's an amazing film and honestly I would love to see it live with a like musical accompaniment I think it would be absolutely incredible it's, it's again a kind of iconic piece of cinema and yet so so far back in the timeline something a wee bit yeah. different to get banned as well yeah. well that's the thing yeah is that such you know, I mean it's like it's reasons for being banned is entirely different from like my picks <laughs> for example kind of horror base you know it's a uh, very good choice John very good choice really good choice really good choice very unique one Right, Thomas, I'm, you're up. Yeah, I'm just going to stick in with what I know. So I've uh, went with horror again. I went with uh, Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead 
first seen by the BBFC in August 1982. Apparently, that, the idea of this film being banned, we think back about it, it's quite ridiculous, I think. I, I keep saying that about a lot of these films, but the, I got the Evil Dead free with the paper one, <laughs> one Sunday. And this movie was actually classed as a video nasty. And apparently the, at the time, there was a divided opinion on the movie where some people thought it just found it nauseating, what others thought it was a bit tongue-in-cheek. Come on, really, is, mm-hmm. is this something that's going to kick out corrupt people? They got some stuff cut and they gave it a certificate originally. But the time the movie was released, this was the whole the height of the video nasties thing. And they went back and looked at it and it turned it dead. Shops were getting raided and copies of this were getting seized. Really? And you think about what the Evil Dead films became. I mean, the second one's a kind of quasi-remake of the first one, stroke sequel. A lot more tongue-in-cheek, a lot more humour, and the third one's just a comedy by that kind of stage. And again, it goes back to my point earlier, the idea of being able to see sequels to the original films banned, I don't know, just seems a bit kind of strange to me. There are scenes in this film that I can understand that were cut, especially the the woman that gets ripped to the tree for lack of a better description. That's, that's insane. That's been released uncut now. I mean, you watch it, it's quite a shocking scene. Is that enough to ban the film? I wouldn't say so. Apparently, Mary Whitehouse, her old friend who are talking about here, uh, called this the number one nasty, the Evil Dead. Really? I mean, really. Cannibal Holocaust was palatable for her then, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it took until 2000 for the uncut version to be resubmitted to the BBFC. And they realised standards had changed quite a lot. So they released it uncut. And I, I think I've got the uncut version, like I said, free with the paper, of all things. You know, it's just... Uh, That's such a random DVD giveaway, I have to say. I've got Hellraiser as well, actually. I've got three copies of Hellraiser because of that. Uh, they kept showing this horror thing they had. Say it was in News of the World or something like that. They were releasing films every, every week. I know, it's weird, but there you go. That's it. Oh, you have it as well? Yep. Yep. That's hilarious. I take it, people. I take it. I know you've seen it, John. You just showed us that you're copying for those listening at home. Mary, you've seen it. No, I've seen clips of it. Either you know, or maybe watching the Red Letter Media uh, when they do like their horror stuff. To me, from what I've seen, it it does seem quite tongue in cheek. I'm not looking at it going, oh. I mean, I bet you there is lots of like you know scares and you know kind of controversial moments or whatever. But to me, is it is it not kind of like. Not, I don't want to say like political commentary, but it was it not kind of like social sort of commentary on sort of issues at the time, or am I getting confused with something else? You think the Night of the Dead? Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay, just scratch all this on the record. I've not seen it. I'm talking shit. <laughs> um, the Night of the Dead had a lot of kind of social commentary to it, and I don't think Evil Dead did. I could be wrong, but uh, I don't think it did. It's insane. It's an insane movie, though. It's very, very violent. It's very, very gory. But it's also very cartoonish in its violence. I don't I don't think it's... The, the idea that this was a video nasty is a bit mad. It would make you think it's a totally different film than what it is when you watched it. I prefer the second one, personally. But, yeah, it's a great film. I didn't like the remake, to be honest. I didn't like the remake too much. And, interestingly, the remake is probably what people thought this film was. Uh. A really violent, serious horror. But this is just... It's balls to the wall, it's mental. It's one of the sort of prototype yeah. horror films, isn't it? Sort of the sort of standard set of characters. Yeah. Uh, Cabin was teen- Cabin was teenagers, all this sort of stuff. So yeah, it's been it's been done so many times since then, but this is one of the first ones. What I remember from watching it just recently, I think I watched it maybe last year or year before, how um cheaply it was made 
Yeah, but that didn't detract from the the film at all. It was obviously a very very low budget. Mm. You're talking about virtually no budget at all on this thing, but it just it works really well because it's it's a cracking story. And yeah, there is a certain like tongue in cheek element to it, but they they're all very serious about what they're doing. You know, in, in terms of the filmmaking and everything, they just they wanted to put something out there that really worked very very well, and I think they achieved that on the the money that they had. Like you say, the second one was kind of the same in terms of the storyline and everything but it wasn't the same film because it didn't have the same sort of feel to it the first one was very very gritty there's a there's a, there's a rights a rights reason a seventh end of it because the, the first like, five to ten minutes of evil dead 2 is essentially a reimagining of the mm. first film I, i'm not it's, sure about that but yes i yeah you're right it's, yeah. it's very similar but I, I i haven't read up on it or anything so i don't really know I did, I did know that, and I can't remember what it is, but it's weird, maybe, because you get the first film, and it, can, and it ends, and it's kind of cliffhanger, and then the second film retells the same story, but with less actors. It's just Bruce uh, Campbell. Is it, and does it, like, pick up from where the first one left off, or...? No, no. It, does, that, it does that, like, five to ten minutes in. Oh. It just basically re, re, it, 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 it remakes the first movie in the first five to ten minutes, but rather than all these friends go to the cabin, it's just, like, a guy and his girlfriend. And then it picks up. There's a reason for it, I can't remember why. Yes, and then the third one, the third one, she's a comedy. There's no get away for it. Oh, jeez. Was it it's meant funny. to be, or? Yeah, oh, yeah, no, no, it's oh, definitely. Okay. I mean, there's a bit when, like, uh, he's, it's not a spoiler, but he's got Necronomicon, the book to kind of like, banish the dead back to hell. And he's got this phrase he has to say, and he can't remember it. So as he's saying the phrase, he kind of coughs the last word, hoping he gets away with it. <laughs> That is funny. That is really that good. Is, it's, it's great. Really, I mean, the, the first movie is great. It really is. The second one is great. They're all, they're all good films. It's a great trilogy. It's, it's definitely worth watching. Yeah. Especially yeah, the I mean, second I mean, one with Bruce Campbell's Ash becomes more the iconic hero that we know what we know him as from pop culture with the chainsaw arm and things like that. It's, it's, it's nuts. I mean, the comedy one sounds probably more up my street than anything else. But, uh, you could skip you yeah. the first one and just watch the second one, to be fair. I was going to say, because it will tell me the story in the first 10 minutes anyway, so I'm covered. Yeah, I'll need to, again, I say I'll add that to the list, but I, ha I genuinely have been working my way through lists of things like that I said I'd watch, i.e., you know, Succession and things like that, so I will go on it. My last pick is a kind of comedy of sorts. It was billed as a comedy of terrors. It's the 2017 Armando Iannucci film, The Death of Stalin, which was banned by the Ministry of Culture in Russia for being offensive and extremist, which the offensive bit, I understand. They probably don't like their, you know, history having the piss ripped out of it, but extremist, no idea where that's come from. Obviously, the title of the film is self-explanatory. It tells the story of when Stalin died and straight from the outset, you're met with this thing where, you know, a lot of his advisors come into the room and they're like, well, is he dead? Should we get a doctor? Oh no, that's right. All the doctors are in concentration camps because we outlawed that as a profession. And there's this kind of thing where nobody really wants to say that he's dead. And of course, you're brought in with all these different personalities. You know, you've got Jason Isaacs absolutely steals the show, you know, as the general and he throws off his cape and he's got his thick Yorkshire accent and he's just not here for any shit. He's just here for the buffet. And I love the whole ridiculousness and over-the-top kind of situation that it is, you know, Stalin's kids are a mess. Andrea Riseborough and Rupert, Rupert Friend, you know, one's an alcoholic and one's an absolute, you know, hysterics all the time. Nobody really wants to be a successor because they're a little bit worried that they might get bumped off. And there's obviously a lot of inner politics going on as to who should be in charge. And 
it's almost like a kind of Monty Python type thing. If you've watched, you know, Ainucci or The Thick of It or anything like that, you'll know this is very much his type of humour. I just thought it was interesting to, you know, Russia obviously has had quite a a, a turbulent history and, you know, quite a interesting politics uh, over the, the century or so. And I'm, and I'm surprised that, you know, the current Ministry of Culture found offence in this because it's, you know, Putin's been in charge for a long time. Stalin's been out of the picture for a long time. So I'm surprised they kind of took offence to it. But I just think it's funny how, you know, even now there's still certain things that are, are off limits for, for some cultures and, and some countries. and They just won't be made fun of for, for whatever reason. But I love this movie. I think it's really clever. I think it's really well done. Have you guys both seen it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love this film. Yeah, yeah. it's cracking. They also banned Borat for being extremist as well. So just to put it in the, <laughs> the context of the death of Stalin and Borat are kind of viewed uh, as the same by the, the Russian Ministry of Culture. But I, I could watch this film again and again and again. It's got such a great cast and is very, very clever and very well executed because it does kind of balance the whole, like, oh, Barry is doing a roundup. If you get me chap at the door tonight, you know, you should be scared sort of thing with the absolute ludicrousness of Russian bureaucracy at the time. But... Um, yeah, I was just surprised to see that was on a, a band list somewhere. I mean, yeah, I was surprised to hear that, especially with how current it is as a movie. I'm trying to think what's in it. And I, I don't know, when I watched it as a kind of films, I thought it was genuinely hilarious. Yeah. But also really dark. But not at the same time. It, it done really well to not make you feel bad for laughing. Or yeah, laugh at an appropriate thing. You, you were to laugh at the right parts and then feel sickened at the right parts. And I, I, thought, it was a, I thought it was a bright film. I loved it. Yeah, it's, it's really good, isn't it? My favourite scene is the, the bit where Stalin is lying in state and they're all jockeying for position about yes. where they, they, they want to stand. And then somebody says, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And he says, smell, shake hands and try not to call them a cunt. <laughs> I think that's words to live by. <laughs> <laughs> really good. Really good. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, you, you can understand why Russians would get offended by it because it, it doesn't sort of treat it seriously in some aspects of it. Some of them are, so there's some real horrific aspects to the film, yeah. but that some of them are treated quite lightly. So well. I was wondering if that's what it was, if it was like the lack of reverence for, I mean, ultimately a you know major political figure in their, their history. And I wonder if it was that kind of lack of respect, maybe that was the driving force behind the, the band. Possibly, yeah. It was interesting as well that Child 44 was banned in Russia. Uh, that doesn't uh, surprise me either. Yeah, 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 I think more the accent than <laughs> any other part of that film. Yeah. Well, well, I'm surprised uh, Black Widow hasn't been banned in Russia for Ray Winston's accent. <laughs> no, does he attempt a Russian accent? Only every third word. Yeah, not not, <laughs> not the entire scene, not even the entire sentence. Is it as bad as that Charlie Hunnam one? You sent me because that I was crying and I actually had tears streaming down my face. I mean, that was awful. I thought, as I say, as we talked about, I thought the Sons of Anarchy accents were ropey at, at points, depending on who, who was talking. But that accent that attempted to talk me, I mean, he made Dick Van Dyke look really good. Yeah, he made Dick Van Dyke look die dial. John, you are to round us all off. Charming. <laughs> Oh. Uh, my last choice is a very recent one. It's the 2020 film The Hunt, which has been described as a horror film, but I don't, don't actually know if that's really the case. It's sort of a thriller horror. The, the reason that is controversial, I don't think it was ever banned anywhere, 
but it was controversial because it was due to come out, I think it was 2019, late 2019, and it was pulled because the subject of the film is people who are basically hunting other human beings. They call them the deplorables, and it's basically conservative, right-wing, moneyed people who are hunting people for sport. And of course, the people they are hunting for sport are ordinary Joes, regular people, people from different ethnic minorities and stuff like that. And this came at a time where there were a number of high-profile shootings in America. I know there's always shootings in America, but there was a number of them that were just, they were very, very high-profile. A lot of people had been killed. And the film company itself decided that it wouldn't be an idea to actually release this film then, so they held it off for a couple of months and then released it. And of course, it was still as controversial at the time. It was an interesting film in that the best-known person, the best-known actor, was killed off within the first 10 minutes in the film, and you're kind of thinking, whoa, it's it's almost going back to that Fear Street thing as well. Basically, when something happens, you go, oh, right, okay, anything can happen from this point. You don't know where it's going to go, and it pretty much did. The film itself was, was okay. It kind of played out in exactly the way that you thought it would. The twists weren't really twists, but they were good. It was all right. It was a, it was a, an enjoyable enough film. It did kind of play on certain aspects of the kill the poor, all this sort of stuff. They, it's kind of laboured on that a number of times, uh, much to its detriment. But it kind of got away with it, and it was a feeling. And I'm not going to say enjoyable here because. I mean, can you enjoy a, a film where they're actually killing other people for sport? You know, but I suppose Jean Jean Claude Van Damme was in one. It was kind of similar as well. So, you know, there's a, there's all sorts out there. So, yeah, that is my pick, and I know you have both seen this film, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, we we discussed it on the pod. I actually thought this got yeah. banned because Donald Trump complained about it, so I didn't know that was the reason why it was banned. I thought just Donald Trump didn't like the way Republicans were portrayed. And it was close to maybe like an election time or a primary or something like that. And I thought that was the reason behind it. So I didn't realise it was to do with the with the shootings. So yeah. no, there was pressure from conservatives at the time to to get it banned for that very reason because it didn't show them in a good light. And let's face it, this always in an election cycle in America for something, yeah. isn't it? Because yeah. they have major elections every two years. So well, obviously with Senate races as well as obviously the White House and Congress and all that. But yeah, I. Uh, there was an awful lot of talk about it, Sam, and I think it was an awful lot of talk from people who hadn't actually seen the film, because on the poster for the film it says, the most talked about movie of the year is one that no one has actually seen. Yeah, so, I remember that. I remember that. Donald Trump yeah, probably tweeted about it in capital letters. Do not watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, so, I don't think... I, don't know if you've got anything else to, to say about it anyway, because obviously I had actually forgotten we had talked about this, which is terrible. That's, anyway. If you want to know more about our thoughts in the hunt, check us out on the Moose Scramble archives from last March, I think that was. That was one of the last films I've seen in the cinema before the pandemic. I watched it on Prime at home. I had to pay to watch it on Prime, because I think it was released maybe at the same time at home, because I couldn't get to the cinema, I seem to remember. Yeah, that's right. I think I th- this might, that might have been the last film I did see before. It was that. I'm sure I've done a double bill with that in Sonic. You did. I remember you talking about that and being like, <laughs> "What the fuck?" Hey, the Sonic film was actually really good. <laughs>
Yeah, it came out the 11th of March last year, so yeah, it could well have been. Yeah. March, April time, check it out the archives. I think that's us for our selections, and that was quite an interesting mix, I would say. Mm -hmm. There was uh, some horror films that we expected, but also some comedies and some class and culture from John with a battleship for Chimkin. So, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> class we expected, standard. We do have some submissions for this topic from our Twitter feed, our Twitter followers, I should say. First off, I've got uh, Alan Douglas at a Douglas underscore 1981. Um, he's went with Battle Royale, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Natural Born Killers. A Clockwork Orange and The Exorcist. Now, we've mentioned three of those movies. Uh, we mentioned Battle Royale quite a lot on here. Natural Born Killers, that's an interesting one. Is it yep. banned? Or is it just kind of... Well, he did say controversial. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realise, yeah, obviously very controversial, but I, didn't, I was kind of assuming it was banned. I think it was one that's release was delayed because of the, the controversy yeah. surrounding it again, mm -hmm. and to do with shootings and various things like that. And Epps Tarantino, obviously. He mm -hmm. was uh, the, the bad boy at that point, so... Yeah, interesting. I thought about controversial films. We could have mentioned The Matrix in terms of the fact that the Columbine Massacre, and they believed that a film had an influence on it because they were trench coats. Allegedly, turned out it didn't. That's another story. We also have uh, Mark Flood at Mark the Shark, 96. Uh, he's got Clockwork Orange, Last House on the Left. That's a very good one. Uh, Evil Dead and Tessie Chainsaw Massacre. And uh, he also once heard Mark Camot tell a great story about how BBFC couldn't cut chainsaw because there's almost no blood in it. There you go. We have one more from uh, a good friend of mine and the pod, Gabriel Robertson, at Writer Gabriel on Twitter. He just said Cannibal Holocaust. I think I have seen this, but I can't remember anything about it. Is this the one that's basically like a found footage movie before found footage movies were a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I, I haven't I haven't seen it, but yes, it is a found footage film. It's one that gets referenced quite a lot when they talk about the Blair Witch Project when the first big found footage film you get yeah. horror geeks coming on and saying, Oh no, oh, actually it was kind of a holocaust. Yeah. Yeah, now I've seen clips of it because like occasionally if I maybe watch like, you know, a top ten most, you know, controversial or whatever films or whatever on YouTube, I've seen clips of it. And I think this is going to make me sound like an idiot, but I'll say it anyway. Was it controversial because people couldn't understand that found footage was still like actors and acting? Like, did it seem too, too real? Was that? Well, the thing is, especially with the Blair Witch Project, was I mean, I mean, this is kind of the early stages of the internet and stuff, and people did believe it was real. These actors were. Oh known. yeah, you yeah, hadn't, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Hadn't, yeah. You hadn't seen them in anything else. Kind of a Holocaust, however. I don't think anybody was really buying that one as being Yeah, <laughs> it's possible. But yeah, I think that film is good. It's been so long since I've seen it, I can't remember I can't remember much about it at all. Yeah, they've been another six or seven sequels before you would get interested. That's true. It's very true. The Cannibal Holocaust box set with a yeah. glitzy Emily. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna get I'm gonna check that actually when we come off the board. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google Cannibal Holocaust sequels. Let's see if it comes up. Well, I hope you all enjoyed um, our latest podcast. Uh, we reviewed the movie Sensor, spoke about most controversial and banned movies. You could find us on social media at all the usual places Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Movie Scramble. John, the email address, please. Podcast at moviescramble.co.uk. It's really blown up on the last couple of weeks. We've had no messages whatsoever. I'm just making it up as I'm going along now. <laughs> If you would I'm like so to, 
and also the Dallas stuff. That was better. We were going to say like two or something. Um, if you would like to discuss anything in, specific, anything in particular on the podcast, uh, if there's any kind of themes or genres or movies you would like to hear us talk absolute nonsense about, please get in touch with us at one of those available channels and we will do our best to get back to you. As you know, we're just so busy with the, the fora and volume of emails and like social media pinging. My phone's been going non-stop this whole podcast just from the movie scramble Twitter account alone. But yes, please get in contact with us if there's anything you want to discuss, even if it's just today's podcast or any other previous podcasts. And we have discussed having guests on, so we would have we will look into that and we will put the feelers out and you may find yourself unlucky enough to be sitting with us <laughs> to discuss kind of a Holocaust seven. <laughs> Yeah. Holocaust on the buses. Holocaust. <laughs> electric, electric Holocaust. Holocaust. <laughs> That's all from me. Is that all from you, John? It is, yeah. See you later. Mary? That is all from me. Until next time. Bye, all. Cheers.